Welcome to the SaaS Sales Performance Podcast, the show for anyone wanting to be on the cutting edge of SaaS tech sales. We provide the tools you need to take advantage of the rapidly changing sales environment. We bring you the leading experts on the front lines of SaaS sales and distill down our famous masterclasses into bite-sized practical tips. Your hosts will be Ash Ali and Matt Milligan. And on this podcast, we'll be helping you transform your ability to sell more so you can smash your targets. Hey everyone, and welcome to the 21st episode of the SaaS Sales Performance Podcast. The following is an extract from Matt Milligan's conversation with Maria Bross. Maria is a genuine leader in sales enablement. And here with Matt, she covers advice for sales managers, the challenges of enablement, and outlines how sales can improve you as a human being. So with no further ado, here are Maria Bross and Matt Milligan. Welcome back to the SaaS Sales Performance Podcast. And next up in our sales enablement series. I'm joined today by a very special guest who has sat on both sides of the table. So Maria Bros is joining us from Rock Content today. Maria has pursued a career in sales enablement and has most recently moved into a sales leadership role. So we're going to be breaking that down. We're going to be going to that in some more detail on today's episode of the show. I'm joining you here. Today is June the 3rd, 2021. For those listening, to this in the future, joining you from East London, Shoreditch. Maria, if you could let the listeners know, where are you joining the show from today? And if you wouldn't mind kicking off by telling us a little bit about your journey in what I call the exciting world of sales enablement. Sure, sure. Thanks so much for having me here today. I'm excited to be talking to you and your listeners. I'm Maria Bras. In terms of my background, I spent probably eight years outbound selling, B2B, SaaS, and really loved sales, was really challenged by sales, especially in the beginning, and fell in love with learning and experimenting and trying new things, which really brought me into sales enablement. So around three years ago, I made a pivot from being an individual contributor in sales to going into sales enablement just because my love of learning and coaching and developing other sales reps spent some time in sales enablement, loved it, loved onboarding and setting sales reps up for success. I realized such a gap in that in in my own training and development as a rep. And so really, really passionate about ensuring that sales reps have the tools that they need to be successful, the training that they need to be successful, which ultimately brought me to this role as a sales leader at Rock Content, where I manage a team of eight sales reps right now that are selling B2B SaaS as well. That's amazing. And you're joining us now from Charleston, right? Oh, yeah. Charleston, South Carolina. Your team at Rock Content are truly global, right? Brazilian company making Mm -hmm. moves into the US now and North America. I mean, tell us a little bit more about your Rock Content journey so far, just before we dive into some of the sales enablement topics. It's a really exciting time to be at Rock Content, especially on our North American team, just in the fact that it's pretty much brand new. So it's really, really exciting to work with you know, global employees and work on projects with people around the world, from Italy to Brazil to Latin America. I've got team members in Canada. So that's been really exciting, learning about new cultures and just overall so impressed with How awesome. I have someone on my team who lives in Brazil, who's lived all around the world, but whose first language is Portuguese. And she's selling cold calling, prospecting in English. And I'm like, I'm just so 
impressed and over the moon about that, like how difficult that could be and to be successful in your second language. Prospecting is incredible. So I love working with a team with multiple cultures and learning from them. And it's exciting to be on the North American team because right now we're just building out the processes. There's so much of the market that doesn't yet know about us since we really just started in January. And so learning a lot and growing the team quickly. It's super exciting. It's going to be a lot of fun to see how the next 12 to 18 months unfolds. I mean, we've got companies like Rock Content, you know, the shift to fully virtual sales processes. Now, the borders have really been, you know, lowered, if you like, and sales leaders like yourself are recruiting internationally now. We've got sales teams coming together, speaking different languages from different cultures, selling the same product. It's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, to me, that's so exciting. And especially my experience has been working at companies that have been headquartered in Charleston, South Carolina. So most of my coworkers, you know, have the same upbringing and background that culture that I do. So it's been a really awesome way to be part of more of a diverse company. And there's just so much to learn from everyone because of that. So different perspectives and new ideas. It's really awesome. Love that. For those that haven't come across rock content, I mean, what is the product that you're selling? If you were to simplify it down for a 10-year-old, how do you summarize the product and the proposition? Sure. Yeah. So I'm learning myself. You know, I just started a few months ago, but the main thing that I'm seeing across the board when we speak with our prospects and I listen to customer calls, main thing here is that the way that they're buying has changed, right? So we partner with marketers to really get their brand in front of their ICP and to ensure that they're having a two-way conversation with their market. So they're getting a better understanding of the content that is resonating and getting data about that without necessarily having to gate all of their assets, right? 10 years ago, you used to put out an ebook and it was awesome. You could get leads that way. And in exchange for contact information, the buyer would get some hopefully valuable information, right? But right now that's changed. People are apprehensive to enter their real contact information just because of data and privacy concerns. That's always changing. So being able to really interact with your audience through infographics and assessments and things like that is a great way to stay in front of them, to get data and to build your brand. Love that. And that's a big gap in the market that rock content's helping plug. Mm -hmm. Let's get on to talk about the topic for today's show and this wider study that we're doing currently into the future of sales enablement. I'm super curious for today's conversation because Maria, you've obviously been on both sides of the team, you know, kind of supporting and enabling reps and now leading and building a team of your own. For those who are relatively new to sales enablement, and I like to ask this question first up, Sales enablement is a relatively new term, right? We're only talking here like three to four years ago. Enablement wasn't really a term that existed. It was called other things. It was called sales training and coaching. Sales ops had a bit of a hand in it. I mean, for you, what is your definition of sales enablement? Sure. So I can't take credit for how I define it because I've really learned a lot from Siobhan Thatcher. If if y'all are familiar with her, she's sort of the founder, I'd like to think of sales enablement. And she was kind enough to have a conversation with me when I first got started. And I learned so much from her, but I really define it as enabling sales reps and empowering them with the tools, the skills, the coaching, the training needed to really serve clients and prospects to ensure that 
they're putting their best foot forward and giving an incredible experience for the part of the market that we could best help, right? So if they have a conversation with someone, they're prepared to shine light on the challenges that we help address, that they're overall set up for success in that way. For the buyers that do have those challenges that could be helped by your tools or product services. That's how I really define it. You know, there's lots of different definitions of that and even more ways of how enablement teams are helping sales reps accomplish this. But that's how I see it is just preparing them to be successful in those conversations with your ideal buyer. A really good overview. And I love that summary that you got from Siobhan. I just came off a conversation before this with a sales leader who was at Oracle, leading sales for almost 30 years. And he's now moved into a CEO role of a big publicly listed company here in the UK. Something he said stuck with me and you kind of hinted at it at the beginning of the conversation as well, Maria. And he said that the mindset you have to have to be successful in a sales leadership role is constant learning. And you mentioned that the thing that attracted you to enablement initially was that you really enjoyed the learning and coaching aspect of it. I mean, talk us through that. Like, where did that come from? Is it something maybe earlier in your childhood? Like, I know that you're uh, really into you know, quite elite level sports and you're powerlifting. I mean, is it something <laughs> that comes from there, perhaps? Like, where's this thirst for improvement come from? Well, to be honest with you, Matt, I sucked at selling when I first started sucked. I missed quota. Like I was really, really bad. You know, I did pretty well in school. I was an athlete. I'm competitive. I was used to, you know, doing relatively average to well, you know, up until my sales career. And people told me, oh, you're a people person. You're extroverted. You should get into sales. Like you love talking to people. And so I just assumed I would be successful in sales. Like coming out of my communication major at University of Maryland, I'm like, all right, that's what I'm meant to do. Like, I love being around people. I'm an extrovert. I'm competitive. But what didn't happen was, was me being successful, right? I, I wasn't seeking out learning opportunities. At the time, I wasn't getting trained by my leaders well or coached over time. And I just assumed that I would incorrectly as a young person, like be a natural with it just because of those traits that I have. And I fell on my face. I was just not great. It didn't come natural to me. I think from that, I missed quota, like I didn't do well. And then I went to a sales organization where I got a lot of coaching. I got, you know, six weeks of really great training from like sales methods to, you know, role play. And it was incredible to my development and ended up doing really, really well. And so that really got me addicted to it. I'm like, wow, this is a skill. Like it's not a natural born skill that people are just good or bad at sales. It's something that I can improve upon. And so that really got me excited. So ever since then, I've really just been super excited by learning it. And the fact that there's, it's kind of like golf, right? There's not one great way to do it. And it's something that you'll never master probably, right? You know, there's probably some arguments against that where some people have mastered it. It's something that's always changing and it's something that you'll never be always exceptional at. It's something you have to complete, always evolve. And so now I'm just like digesting podcasts like yours and constantly reading and trying to experiment and test with things like Josh Braun puts out there. And so that's what excites me so much about it. I'm a testament to the fact of you can be a not natural born seller and learn to to sell better and see improved results with 
effort and testing. So I love sales because of that. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. And there's so many sports analogies that we can use in sales. The golf one, I particularly like playing a lot of golf myself, but it's a constant improvement process, right? Yeah. That's almost what I find kind of not addictive, but that's what got me hooked early in my career as well is, you know, constantly the ability to try new things out and see if they work. Yes. I guess for you, you know, what did you really enjoy thinking back to your role in sales enablement? Like what was Mm -hmm. the biggest thing that you took from your day where you would go home at the end of each day and think, I really made a difference today? Or, you know, what was the big thing for you that you enjoyed most about your role in enablement? I just loved seeing other sales reps fall in love with sales too. It's really hard. Like it's really difficult. We kind of have to be crazy to be sales reps, right? (laughs) I really loved building the relationships with the sales team and just seeing them work so hard and then seek out learning opportunities, take my coaching, take coaching from, you know, other sources or books that they read, try things out and see success from that. And so that was really rewarding to me to be able to see them grow and fall in love with sales through their effort and through the experimentation that they put in. For example, I had a class of BDRs that started at Boomtown in my my former company. You know, I really built close relationships with, they were just a great bunch, really growth-minded. And, you know, they started out brand new in their careers, right? First-time BDRs, some of them out of college or different types of career paths. It was awesome to have the opportunity to train them for a second time as AEs a year later. And so that was really very rewarding to me to see them grow into, you know, what they wanted to accomplish of a full cycle sales role, obviously like higher compensation to see them go to that goal and to see them, you know, be able to find engagement ring for their girlfriend because they were able to do that. And so I really liked seeing the difference that sales has made in their lives and in their confidence overall in their personal and professional lives. I can imagine that was a incredibly fulfilling moments to see the personal development as well. I think we spend so much time talking about performance and metrics and numbers and sales, but you know, there's a big part for us here at UHubs, and I say this to my team a lot, it's, you know, about personal development as well. It's becoming a better person and growing personally, you know, not just growing as a sales professional. Totally. That's another thing too. It's like sales just doesn't stop in your nine to five job. Like you sell to your spouse, you sell to your kids to clean up their room. You're constantly selling whether you know it or not. And I think the skills that you develop as a salesperson, like active listening and asking good questions and and that curiosity can help you overall in all of your relationships in life and to help you get to your personal goals as well. Think back to your time in in sales enablement, Maria. We're seeing a lot, you know, I think Gartner recently did some research that found only 9% of a sales manager's week is spent coaching their team, which, you know, you then look at the uplift in performance that comes off the back of coaching. It's undoubtedly one of the most high impact activities that you can do as a manager. Sales enablement, really should be the sales manager's best friends, right? They're there to kind of support and enable their teams. But looking back to your own experience, I mean, what were some of the key challenges you found in that enablement role? We sometimes see that, you know, managers get a little bit protective over their immediate reports. They sometimes perhaps don't appreciate the enablement team who seem kind of a little bit separate. 
was that a challenge you experienced? Were there any other kind of challenges that you found in your enablement role? Yeah, lots of challenges. But I think with that being said, you know, I went in super hot, right, into the sales enablement role. And I made the mistake initially of not using data to decide which sort of trainings and workshops I put together. It was just all based on my opinion or conversations with sales reps. And so some of those trainings, I think, came out flat. I think they were valuable overall, but it wasn't necessarily going to move the needle like it should. And then I got a lot of mentors and I started talking to other peers in sales enablement that had a ton more experience than I had. And they're like, you really have to work hand in hand with the sales management team, right? Because they're the ones that have the numbers. They, they're teams that they ultimately have to have accountability over and you really have to build out that partnership. And I think that that's probably one of the most important pieces for sales enablement is like you have to work hand in hand with the sales managers and your head of sales to really develop almost like a editorial calendar for the sales workshops that you're going to do. And also to know, hey, that there's a balance. Like I can't just be taking them off the sales floor at random times that are unexpected. And the types of training really need to make sense for the specific team. So that was one thing that I worked towards. And I had great sales managers at Boomtown in my last role that I had the pleasure of learning from and working with. And that's really when we were able to see success was when we were all able to put our heads together and say, okay, what should we prioritize? What's going to actually move the needle for the team? And then being able to say, okay, you know, we're going to do one training a month and, you know, it's going to be a really valuable use of their time and is really going to move the needle. And you train the sales managers first of what that workshop is going to look like, what the training is going to be so that your training doesn't get forgotten afterwards. So again, it's that partnership with them so that they can coach in the one-on-ones after your training and ensure that it actually comes to fruition, right? Because the one-time training is not going to do anything if it's not reinforced. So I think that would be my biggest learnings is make those sales managers your partners and help you decide what types of trainings to prioritize. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you hit the nail on the head there when you said, you know, the lack of data that we have. Yeah, okay, you know, you can pull out some hard metrics from Salesforce, but there's a million and one things that can influence that revenue number. You know, it could be market conditions, it could be a marketing campaign, it could be the sales True. rep has just taken up meditation and that's made them more of a zen-like <laughs> seller. You know, we've seen that as a big gap is that managers and enablement teams have had quite a hard time really getting granular on the specific needs of individuals. I agree wholeheartedly. And and that's really tough to do, especially when, you know, say you're working with 12, 18 sales reps, how are you going to know that? Unless you have a team of two or three and can really keep a really great pulse, which would be difficult to do too, even with a small team, that sort of data and insights that you can get on your team outside of Salesforce is super valuable. It's been a really interesting experience, especially with the last 12 months, everyone being remote, right? Sales managers now feeling even further away from their teams yeah, than they hard. did before. What are you seeing as some of the biggest challenges now? You know, obviously moving into a new role the last three months, Maria, what are some of the biggest challenges you're seeing in terms of developing reps at the moment? And I think what you just mentioned, right? Like that's probably the biggest challenge is I really prioritize coaching and training because that's my background and I know how much it's needed. I think that 
that's not necessarily the case for all sales managers, right? They can be like caught up in their dashboards and Salesforce and working on, you know, other projects. But I agree with you in that coaching and training is really going to be what moves the needle and is going to be most helpful to bring your team forward in the deals that they're working on and in their skill level overall. What I want to do is build this environment where it's not just me and their team meetings where I'm giving a training or I'm, you know, delivering information in some way. I think that adults learn best from their peers. And especially as sales leaders get more and more disconnected from what it's actually like to be a seller and what it's like on the phones right now during slash after a pandemic, things have changed, right? So your team has a wealth of knowledge. So what I really want to do, which is a challenge, right? It's identifying what are the strengths of each of my teammates, what sort of value can they provide to each other and sort of what can they teach each other? So, you know, that's one thing that I've really tried to do in the our team meetings, especially in my one-on-one trainings, I've coached someone on a certain skill or a tactic and they've done it and seen success for them to reinforce that learning and teach that to their peers, right? Because then it's like, I can be a force multiplier for what I'm training. They can teach their peers so they learn it better. And then again, their peers are more receptive to learn from their teammates than probably from me who, you know, hasn't necessarily had a individual contributor quota in the past two years. I absolutely love that. So you see your role as a leader, and I guess this extends into sales enablement roles as well, as being like the catalyst, right? You are the mm-hmm. catalyst that then sparks that peer-to-peer learning, which as you mentioned is so important and quite often overlooked in my experience. Yeah. And I think that just because I'm their sales manager, I don't have all of the answers. Like they're the one with boots on the ground. They're on the phones talking to their prospects and they know exactly what's going well. So there's so much I can learn from them and there's so much that they can learn from each other. Tapping into that is what the challenge is sometimes. Absolutely. If you think back to your previous role, firstly, how many sales enablement people were there in the organization and like how many reps (laughs) were you responsible for? What was the kind of ratio? There was one sales enablement person, which is me. And there was, I think we grew to 80, close to 80 sales reps while I was there. And then of course there were sales managers as well. So yeah, the ratios were high. The team was doing super well though. And they overachieved their annual quota. So it worked really well in that company. And I guess that goes to show, you know, that sales enablement can feel a little bit like a luxury for fast growth businesses, especially if you're earlier stage and you're less than 50 reps. That's the trend that I've observed in the SaaS space anyway. For those that don't yet have enablement teams established, you know, what can you do as a sales manager, as as a sales leader in the absence of having that structured full-time team dedicated to enablement? What are some kind of pointers that you'd recommend in terms of thinking about getting started enabling your team? That's a great question. There's so much, right, on a sales manager's shoulders and in different hats to wear. But I think it's even more important to prioritize the coaching, especially if you don't have a sales enablement team. You know, I put on my sales enablement hat, maybe even more so than a sales manager hat in my current role, right? Like the team needs enablement materials, we need playbooks. And, you know, that's what I really loved so far in my role is brainstorming with the other leaders at my company with my CRO, who's a genius and being able to learn from them and prioritize like the enablement materials that we need to document, especially being virtual and having a global sales team. 
is documenting the tribal knowledge. And that was something that I prioritized in my last role as well, because there are brilliant people across the company. And I think that they're making strides in documenting, you know, our positioning and anything like cold call objections, even from, you know, across the board. I think that's one thing that you can do is try to document the tribal knowledge and really focus on the coaching in your one-on-ones. You know, even in my last sales team meeting, I talked to them about like, all right, let's keep our CRM super clean. Let's do these sort of things. So we don't have to spend our one-on-one time talking about your forecast or talking about what next steps are for this deal. Like I want to spend that time fully on you and like what's going to be a valuable use of your time versus talking about specific metrics and things like that. I want it to be focused on how can they get specific deals moving forward or skill development overall or role play. I want it to be a really valuable use of their time. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big advocate of the three elements I call of enablement. You know, you've got what I call knowledge at the top, which is your internal product knowledge. How well do you know the product and the value proposition and the value it brings to your customer base? The second yeah. category then is methodology. How well mm. do you understand the methodology that you're using across the entire team to move prospects from point A to point B through your pipeline? But then the third one is skills, which you mentioned there is where are the gaps? Like where are your current skills gaps that fundamental sales skills that can help you close deals and move things through the funnel? Maria, looking ahead to the future of sales enablement as a profession, you know, you're a big advocate and a champion in the space. Any advice for enablement teams or enablement professionals starting out or even, you know, that sales managers can take from this conversation as kind of key learnings? What can they think about that will help set them up for success? So many things. I have so many learnings and I'm sure if I was in an enablement role, so much still to learn because it is such a new space too and constantly changing. I would recommend like study how adults learn. That's one of my biggest learnings from Siobhan and my mentor, Amy, has been around, you know, you can't PowerPoint your sales team to death. And that's not necessarily how adults learn. And so really facilitating those opportunities for peer-to-peer learning has been instrumental or hearing from clients, hearing from prospects, like getting a better understanding of their world, their challenges, their goals. That would be my biggest advice would be to facilitate those opportunities, find out your team's strengths and weaknesses, prioritize those trainings and workshops based on data and build those partnerships with your sales managers early and often. That would be it. Amazing. Maria, I've really enjoyed the conversation this afternoon. Where can those listening or tuning into today's show find out more about yourself and rock content? Sure. You can find me on LinkedIn. I love connecting with other sales leaders and learning from you. I'm brand new to this. So I'd love to collaborate with you to learn from each other as well as rockcontent.com. When you learn more about how we're partnering with marketers there to improve results, love to meet you or talk to you over LinkedIn message. Amazing. Maria, thanks so much for the time. Really enjoyed the chat and always fun to hang out. Look forward to doing it again soon. Thanks so much, Matt. I've enjoyed speaking with you. So thank you for listening to the SaaS Sales Performance Podcast. At UHubs, we help businesses develop and upskill their teams. To see how you stack up against the industry's best, or to get marketing and sales tips from SaaS experts, check out uhubs.co.uk.